chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, we'll get started. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back. We also project the text on the screen, so no worries. Now let's ask the Lord for his blessing as we get settled in here. Now, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your God-breathed word. We just acknowledge, Lord, that it's not the word of any man, but holy men of old were carried along by the Holy Spirit, and, and they wrote and spoke as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. And so we receive the word for what it is, not from earth, but from heaven, sent by God, spoken to us, living and active, sharp to get in and do its work. And we yield our will to yours. Have your way through this time. In Jesus' name, amen. I was one of those guys who kind of dragging my feet with the new technology. And uh, a few years ago, despite all the savvy new products that were coming out um, from Apple, um, I was very happy with my little flip phone. Okay, sure, it was cumbersome to text, you know, if you wanted to text hello, you know, uh, you'd press the four button twice, and then to get the E, you would press the three button twice, but then for the L, you'd have to press the five button three times, and then there would be an L, but I was down with that. It was cool, it was easy. It was something I was used to. And we had somebody on staff, and most of you know him, Pastor Josh, and he was by day an IT guru, and he was up with all the latest. And so it was his mission in life to get me from a flip phone to an iPhone. But he'd show it to me, and he'd be spouting out all the gigabytes and the icons, touch here, slide here, open this, close that. You know, he said, uh, it, it's the, the feature of the quad band GSM cellular connectivity. Wow. I was like, Josh, you don't even know what that means. And, but Josh did know what that meant. And so, you know, I resisted for a long time. And then an evil conspiracy that my own wife was a part of. For my birthday, they took away my, my flip phone and, and gave me an iPhone. So I faked like I was happy because they're expensive. <laughs> Right, so I had to kind of do that fake smile. Oh, look at that. And I just got dizzy thinking about it. I was like, where are my contacts? And how am I going to, you know, press four times? What? There's, there's no buttons. And Yeah. So it only took a few hours for me to say out loud, how did I ever live without this iPhone? And so... 
That's the way it can be with new things, new concepts, new ways of being, new ideas. And if we can jump from the physical, technological world to the spiritual realm, we'll find that when new things that God wants to do in our hearts and lives, there can be a little bit of intimidation and a little bit of dragging our feet, something we are going to see in today's uh, text. This is one of the reasons why the Jewish leaders had such a hard time with Jesus, because he came to bring Christianity. Christ means Messiah. Christ is the Greek form of Messiah. The Hebrew word is Messiah. So he, he shows up and says, it's Messiah time, right? But they were still laboring in the old structure of Judaism. And the Lord was saying, it's a new thing. Don't miss it. And let me help you over your hurdle about this new thing. And that's exactly what you're going to see in the text right now. Here comes the clash. Now, John's disciples, we're talking about John the Baptist, and the Pharisees, the religious rulers of the day, were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They can't, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. Time for a lesson. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one would pour new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will keep fermenting and burst the already stretched out skins. And both the wine and the wineskins will be lost. No, you pour new wine into new wineskins. And so this is the text that we are going to reflect upon uh, this morning. Now, most of you who have been regularly attending realize that Mark chapter 2 puts back to back, prompted Mark by the Holy Spirit, to put five back to back concise compact little narratives, little incidents of Jesus' authority and the religious authority, so-called, clashing. And so he puts five episodes. This is the third episode. So just to give you the bigger picture, um, Jesus is coming in, and uh, like almost in one of those old westerns, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. And, and uh, I don't know that Jesus would say this, but he, he might say this town ain't big enough for both of us, you know. And so he's saying, you've heard them say, but I tell you, because the Bible already introduced us to the Son of God, the God-man, who's born of a human being, but was conceived of the Holy Spirit, perfectly God, perfectly man, and he spoke like it. He wasn't needing to quote other people, so he was quoting himself and speaking and unlocking our hearts 
with this voice from heaven. The same voice that created those people was now speaking to them. And the Bible says that the common people heard him gladly, is the quote, or just were amazed and astonished by his authority. And then he'd do these wonderful, amazing miracles to back uh, them up. And so now you've got these three conflicts of, listen, ever-growing conflict. Let me show you the the five stories, okay? This story that we just read is number three. You'll remember the first week we started Mark chapter two. The problem, the offense was, who do you think you are forgiving sins? Jesus looked at a paralyzed man and said, son, let's talk about the real problem. Your sins are forgiven. And that blew their minds. And essentially they said, only God can forgive sins. So Jesus answered them with the miracle and actually kind of said, I can forgive, let me help you out, and I'll answer your question. I can forgive sins because I'm the Lord. I and the Father are one. And he made that point over and over again. Colossians 2.9, the fullness of God in a human body. Number two, the second little episode Mark told us about that we saw last week, why are you so friendly with sinful people? You know, Matthew was having a born-again celebration party, having left the uh, sordid world of tax collecting and all of that. And uh, Jesus was at the party. They were having a good time. And uh, all the kind of bad guys were hanging out. And anyway, so long story short, here's their problem. You hang out with those kinds of people. What's wrong with you? And he said, I hang out with sinners because I came to save sinners. And then story three is today. Uh, Why don't your disciples follow strict religious disciplines? And he says, because while I'm here, it's time for joy. So it's it's out of place to be fasting and mourning and grieving and crying right now because I got some good news. Four and five, we'll handle them separately. So next week, we'll do four, the little snippet story. Uh, But uh, four and five are related. They have the same sort of offense and grievance, and there's one answer to them. So story number four next week will be, why do your disciples break the traditions of Sabbath keeping? In short, next week, you'll see they're walking through a field, and they start, they're hungry, and they start picking some fruit, right? They're hungry, right? Yeah, they're, they're, they're doing this. And, the, and, the, and it's on a Saturday. You're not supposed to work, right? But the Pharisees came up with rules and regulations to let you know what working is. And to pick, you're harvesting, you're working, we're going to kill you. That's really an offense, a capital offense, to break the Sabbath. And so Jesus will have to deal with this. And then the, the final story... And that will culminate with them plotting to murder, you see. So these stories are here to show, at first they're murmuring them under their breath in the first story. Then there's verbal confrontation. And then by story number five, it's a plot to kill him, you see. And so the answer to them is, how dare you work and heal? So he heals a guy you'll see in two weeks on a Saturday, Sabbath. In church, the synagogue, and he heals the guy, and they come unglued and say, You worked. 
you broke the Sabbath. They don't see the guy who's healed, had a withered hand, and now is using his hand. They don't see that. They see you broke a rule that we invented, and so now you're going to have to die, you see. So that's the big picture of where we're at. We're right in the middle. We're in story number three. We're going to take a look at it. You can put it back here, and we're going to take it apart. All of these stories kind of have the same three points, which is really nice for me. Uh, first is the offense, always, and you're going to see that there in verse 18. So the grievance is spelled out quite nicely here, only one sentence. And then you'll get a response from Jesus, because Jesus always has an answer. You know, we got lots of problems. Jesus has lots of answers. And so he'll answer the grievance in verses 19 through 20. And then, thirdly, Jesus always looking for a teaching moments, so he's going to tack on, free of charge, uh, two analogies to help these guys understand there's something new happening. Judaism is blossoming into its God-ordained uh, fulfillment. A new way has come upon you. Don't miss it. So he gives two illustrations like that that we're going to see. And so if you're taking notes, the offense, the response, and the lesson. Let's start with the offense. Verse 18 says, Now John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and they have a question. Now, most scholars say that John the Baptist's uh, disciples are pretty innocent in this, but the Pharisees have stirred them up and got them all bent out of shape, and so Jesus will fix that, and, and they'll be okay, but it's the Pharisees who are using John the Baptist's disciples as their front men because they know that they respect Jesus and the disciples respect John the Baptist and the disciples, so they're just using them to really bring an accusation. So let's call this for what it is, because I've said this many times. They frame their offense and their displeasure and their slanderous accusation of, you guys are not as spiritual as you should be and be fasting like us who are spiritually superior than you guys. So you see, that's the accusation. But they're not going to do that. They frame it in the form of a question, like it's just genuine innocent question. We're just wondering, you know, we're open to what God's doing, and we're just curious. We fast, but you guys don't fast. What's up with that? No, 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 no. It's an accusation. Oh, they're resentful. They're jealous, and they think they're unspiritual, and they're bringing an accusation. And you know how you know this? Because Jesus will answer, and it doesn't bring them closer it pushes them further away. So if it were an innocent question, we just need some information here. Help us out. Uh-uh. He gives the information. He does the miracle. He answers the question, and they harumph even more. So we see it's just the guys to present. And, and let me just tell you a little bit about the religion of the Pharisees, you know, because they're always saying, you're saying something wrong, you're doing something sinful, you're not reaching the bar of what true spirituality is. Of course, they are the ones who set that bar. The Pharisees were in business for 200 years before Jesus appeared. And here's what they did. Long story short, they, their greatest downfall was to overvalue oral tradition 
and undervalue the intent of God's law. Let me explain. There's something called the Mishnah. It was a running commentary that Pharisees or rabbis slash rabbis uh, made on the Old Testament. And what they did was they elevated their writings, their interpretation of the Bible. They elevated that to give it equal footing with the word of God. In fact, sometimes it elevated above the word of God. You see, you have the word of God, but we can't really understand the word of God. So you need the, the teachings of the rabbis. They'll, they'll put it in practical, everyday terms for you. And that was their greatest thing. So they had the letter of the law. They reduced Judaism to a thousand rules and regulations. Do not do this. Do not do that. That is what makes God happy by you doing all of these silly, crazy, nonsensical things. And we'll get to see some of them. Rules and regulations without inner transformation. There was no, they weren't just <laughs> hypocrites. And, and Jesus said, you got it going on on the outside. You look really good. But really, you're like this beautiful coffin. Well-decorated, beautiful, expensive. Everybody goes, whoa, that's a beautiful casket. But you know what's inside a casket? He says, rotting flesh. You're, you're just rotting with moral corruption and emptiness and death. That's what the letter of the law will do. The spirit gives life. And here's this new thing, this spiritual new thing. And they're missing it because they have this structure uh, without Life. So the Pharisees said the three pillars of Judaism are prayer, almsgiving, giving to the poor, and fasting. I don't see that as the three pillars of Judaism. I would say Jesus defined the three pillars of, of uh, Judaism by saying, number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others with the same intensity in which you love your, and care about yourself, right? Faith in God, obedience to his word. That was the pillar of Judaism. But the Pharisees picked these three things, prayer, almsgiving, and fasting. That will explain to you why they made a big deal and perverted all three of those things, and Jesus calls them out on all three of those things, prayer, they would stop at 9, 12, and 3, no matter where they were, and stop just in the middle of a sentence, or they're buying some sweet potatoes, and, and they just stop and start doing their prayers because the, the shofar was blown from the temple. And now they're so holy. They love God so much. They're so dedicated. Their name, Pharisee, means holy ones. They're the holy ones. And so, oh, Oh, put down the money right now. I've got to pray to the Lord while the rest of you pagans, you know, go on with your secular life, right? Oh, that's exactly how they were. And then they had long robes, and, and to help them pray, they had little tassels. The longer your tassel, the longer your prayers. And so these guys would just make long, 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 and they had a tassel-making competition among each other. And so, you know, your tassels are only like this. Well, my, my prayers are pretty serious because I really love the Lord. <laughs> and come on. No. 
Jesus calls them out and says, you love to make your tassels long. So people will look at that and go, whoa, you're spiritual. He calls them out on that, right? And then their next thing was almsgiving, giving to the poor. God had no problem with that, but it wasn't a pillar, and you didn't give so that people could see you. So Jesus had to call them out, because what were they doing, these Pharisees? They're blowing trumpets before they gave to the offering. So they blow a trumpet. They bring in a couple sacks of shekels, right? Uh, and they cue the trumpet, bum, ba, da, da, ba, ba, right? Or whatever. Sorry. I'm weird, okay? <laughs> Let's move on. And so the trumpet goes off. Everybody's attention is turned, and they say, here's the offering. And Jesus called them out one day and said, that wasn't very much. First of all, you sounded a trumpet. And you did it all for a show, so you've lost everything there. Second of all, see that little old lady over there? Oh, nobody noticed her. She just tossed in two shekels. She gave the most in the room because she gave out of her poverty. They gave out of their abundance, so it looked like a lot didn't it? Two big sacks. Wow, it's heavy. But little did you know how much money they actually have. So in God's point of view, that wasn't a big deal. What was a big deal was the little old lady nobody saw, no trumpets blasted, but the angels in heaven went, whoa, get a load of that. You see, God's kingdom is upside down or right side up. We're the ones upside down. And the final one, their final pillar was something Jesus called them out for, too, because they were perverting it. Fasting. Here's what they'd do. Number one, there was no requirement in Hebrew scriptures to fast except one day a year, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. They were supposed to fast. They were supposed to break out the sackcloth, which is burlap. You're supposed to make yourself uncomfortable. Think about your sins. Think about the damage you've done to people. Think about how far you're falling short and get right with me, right? But outside of that, even though fasting was sort of affirmed, um, there's no requirement to do it. It has a place, and we'll talk about that. But see, they will not be outdone. So they turned it into a pillar of Judaism, and so they fasted Mondays and Thursdays, sundown to sunup. And after the sun went down, Josephus said they would gain weight because they'd eat like animals, all right? So they, their, their hearts weren't in it. It would have been fine if they were fasting twice a week because they really loved God and wanted to see, where's the Messiah? It's been 400 years of silence since Malachi. Where are these prophecies? We feel like it's coming. We need help, spiritually speaking. It would be cool. But they were, they, here's what they did. They messed up their face. Jesus says, Pharisees, you disfigure your faces. That's a poor translation. That's what it means. But what it means is you, you get out of bed and you dishevel yourself to look like you're fasting. So if you were fasting, you didn't trim certain areas of your beard. Um, you didn't bathe. You didn't fix yourself up. And like I said, you change out of normal, comfortable clothes into itchy clothes to show everybody how um, afflicted of soul you were. 
about your terrible sins. And so Mondays and Thursdays was sackcloth time, and they'd mess up their hair. And they'd say, you know, oh, I just got up out of the chair a little dizzy, you know, after not eating for two days. You know, it's a little hard. Oh, praise me. I mean, praise the Lord. And there is a little fat Pharisee hiding out in every single human heart. It's just look at me, look at me, how spiritual I am and how unspiritual everybody else and how much I love the Lord and how devoted, whoa, he really loves the Lord. Look at how hands, high hand, <laughs> listen to, look how high my hands are raised as opposed to yours in your pockets, oh heathen. You know, that's how it is. It, can, it just never ends with people. Did someone see me put this in here? You know, oh my word. You try to do good, and the flesh is right there just wanting, look at me, look at me. We had this, uh, I worked at a very large church back in the 80s. And um, the pastors had parking spots, which I thought was kind of weird right up front, and they had their names on it, you know, the youth pastor and this pastor. Well, one of the guys decided, I'm not doing that. Oh, that's so unspiritual. So he'd park a mile away, and here's the problem. He'd tell everyone. (laughs) Can you believe our church has pastor signs on the curb. Well, you know, the reason I'm late sometimes is because I park in Cupertino (laughs) and I take a shuttle bus and then I walk three miles because you know what? I love people, okay? I'm sensitive. I care about you. See those little old ladies. They need those parking spaces. Who's going to do it but me? I think you get the picture. Somebody said to me after first service, said, I love how animated you get when you tell stories. And I said, I don't get animated. And, and then I just realized, maybe I do. All right, so, yeah, that's, that's their religion. And Jesus came to put an end to all of that. He spanked them something terrible. Matthew chapter 23, he said, woe to you, you poisonous snakes. And then he listed seven things that they do. And he said, how can you escape going straight to hell? Jesus, to these people. He says, not only are you not going to heaven, but you're stopping other people who want to, but you've turned this into a nightmare. Nobody wants God if they have to do what you prescribe. And so you're hindering souls from coming to Christ, to God. Wow. He says, your condemnation is going to be hot. That's, that's what Jesus said. And so that's the idea of fasting and how perverted and warped that they had turned it into. And here are the accusations, really. Um, uh, Number one, John John the Baptist's disciples are serious about God. (laughs) Obviously, we see it, they're fasting. And, And we are serious about God, at least we're trying to make people think we are. But you guys, you guys aren't serious at all. Now, there were two things prompting this. 
Number one, they just felt that they were unspiritual. Wow, you guys are unspiritual. You don't do spiritual disciplines. And the second thing was they resented them and were jealous. Come on, think about it. The Lord was going to dinner parties all the time. He was always invited to weddings, you know? And so one of those weddings landed on a Thursday, right? They had tri-tip. They killed the fatted calf. There was wine there, yes. All right, there was dancing, there was joy, there was laughing, they were rolling their heads back and laughing. Everything's in courtyards, people see everything. Now, meanwhile, the Pharisees are walking by. Oy vey, I'm a, you know, I'm terrible, the world's coming to an end. And, and, and itching in the, in, in the uh, sackcloth and the burlap, right? And starving. And then the smell of the barbecue. And you know what? Then, he, then, then, then they, they catch wind. Not only were they had wine at the wedding, and they were drinking wine at the wedding, they ran out of the wine, and he made more. <laughs> they called Jesus a drunk and a glutton because he was always eating, and he was at parties, and he had a glass of wine. He did. Now, no one at those parties, if you got drunk at one of those weddings, they'd excommunicate you. It was a disgrace for a Jew to be drunk. It was a disgrace. So at these festive parties around Jesus, you found goodness and holy laughter and oh, clean, fun, fellowship, love. It was just a joy to be around Jesus. You know what they had dessert at that wedding? And the Pharisees heard about it on the day they couldn't have anything, right? Uh, they had halva. How many of you even know what halva is? Some of you Gentiles don't know halva. Listen, halva is this wonderful, delicious tahini. It's crushed sesame paste with honey, and, and, and you make little bricks of it. I grew up eating this stuff. I loved it. And then I moved out here. It's like, halva, what? They don't know what halva is. You have to go to specialty stores. Or Oliver's has something if you're interested. <laughs> <laughs> they have pistachio in it. It's just wonderful. And this is like, we're you know, getting baklava honey on their fingers, and then walking outside. And, and the Pharisees are like, <laughs> You, you know, you bunch of heathens. And now they want to know, how is it that we take God seriously and you guys just think it's one big party? What's up with that? Yeah, so Jesus has an answer for that. He always does. Jesus always liked to say, anybody with ears, let him hear He's saying, listen, you guys always have uh, reasons for your, I can't do this because I don't understand this and I have a problem with that. But that's really just an excuse because you have ears and I'm giving you answers and they're the right answers. And then I raised somebody up from the dead to show you, listen, I know what I'm talking about. But it doesn't seem to help you. So I'm, I'm beginning to doubt the sincerity of your <laughs> objections. Right? And so Jesus is going to give an answer. Here, here's what he says. He's going to compare the, the he, yeah, we can swap over now to the second point. He's going to compare the, the, the 
sober background of a fast to a wedding. And he's going to say, I'm like the groom and the wedding party are my disciples. So wouldn't you think it's a little unfitting? It's, it's not the right time or place for fasting and sadness and grief and moaning and mourning. And so let's take a look at that. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. You don't understand who I am, and you don't understand what I came to do, or you wouldn't be asking the question. You'd be joining in the celebration. Who am I? <laughs> He's the Lord. You know, can you imagine the joy? Philip and Nathaniel, you know? Philip, was it Philip who said it? It was, let me see. Philip finds Nathaniel and says, we found the one Moses 1,400 years ago. Moses wrote about our Messiah, the God-man, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, all the prophets, that's Isaiah. But all the prophets, 300 of these prophecies, Philip is telling Nathaniel, we found him. The wonderful counselor, almighty God, Emmanuel, born of a virgin, he's here. He's standing right down that you come here. <laughs> There's a lot of joy. And then he starts opening his mouth and he ends up telling, you know, he says, hey, we found the Messiah. Come take a look at him. And then so he comes up to him and he says, hey, yeah, I saw you before Philip called you, Nathaniel. I saw you sitting under the tree. And he goes, you're the son of God. And Jesus says, oh, you're going to see much better things than that. <laughs> uh, but appreciating his faith. But can you imagine the joy of knowing here's the fulfillment of the entire Old Testament and somehow we got blessed enough to be the ones to see God in a human body for the short amount of time that God himself made a special guest appearance in the flesh. The word was with God in the beginning and the word was God and the word that was God became flesh and dwelt among us. And they're standing there saying, I can high five the God of the universe. I can be hugged by the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. I can laugh and put my arm around the shoulder of the one through whom all things exist. He upholds everything by his word and by him, nothing that exists was made without him. And he's there in the flesh. So he said, <laughs> and he didn't come to condemn people and say, shape up sinners, you're all gonna burn. He didn't say that. <laughs> he said, I did not, John 3, 17. Keep reading. <laughs> I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. Well, that made them happy. And he said, don't be afraid of me. Come to me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You know why he said that? Because they were catching on. Who's this guy who can speak to a hurricane and tell it to stop? After he did that and it settled down, the guys were like, who is that? <laughs> he can talk to the wind, and the wind goes, yes, sir, and just obeys him. So Jesus says, listen, it's a happy time. It's like a wedding. 
I'm the groom and the, and the bridal party, the, the guys who are with me, my friends. You want them to say, oy vey, it's time for misery. <laughs> They're bouncing around with God. John opens 1 John by saying, the word of life. We touched him. We saw him. We handled him. He says, we handled him. Why would you say we handled him? Because that's unbelievable that God could be God in a human body, handleable. <laughs> there he is, sleeping by the fire. That's God sleeping by the fire. And if he snored a little bit, he's a human being. It's like he's snoring by the fire. God. Stop this. This is amazing. And, and you want us to forego the tri-tip and eat nothing and drink water and get all itchy? No, thank you. That's not going to happen. So Jesus says, can you picture it? Can you picture it? He says, listen. And not the time. Can you picture it's time to shove the cake into each other's faces Right and the and and the bride says, "Oh, does it have sugar in it? You know, oh, come on, you're not counting calories. You don't worry. You're not asking about carbs at a wedding. And if you are, no comment. <laughs> Listen, you don't do those kinds of things. You don't show up at Thanksgiving. Oh, you don't show up. You know, you know. Do you have a spare room so I could seek the Lord?" for all my problems. Uh, no. No. It's a time for Thanksgiving. That's all he's saying here. Now, he's saying, granted, oh, they will fast. If that groom is taken away, oh, in that day, they'll fast. Now, Jesus is quick to, I mean, he's saying, heads up. He's told, he's told them several times they're slow to take this in. But he's told them several occasions. The Son of Man is going to Jerusalem. They're gonna, they're, I'm going to be handed over to the bad guys. They're going to mock me. They're going to beat me. They're going to flog me. They're going to spit in my face. They're going to crucify me. No worries. The third day, I'll be back. I'll be back. You see... God used the evil men, and what he had to do was become a victim. So he, he's saying, can you imagine ISIS, ISIL people, terrorists? They come into your wedding reception, and picture someone you love. And they come in with their guns and the machete, and they grab the groom, and they haul him off put a bag over his head, and haul him off, and out the doors go. That's not how a wedding's supposed to end, with the groom being snatched away. But that's what's going to happen. But God is using the evil nature of his enemies to save the world. Oh, they're responsible for their sins. They did not have to do what they did. But it was in God's plan. He's in control. He says, no one takes the life of the Son of God. The Son of God says, okay, you're here. He comes out in the garden where the day of fasting sort of will begin because they're taking him, right? But he says, he comes out. They come looking for him in the middle of the night there in the garden of Gethsemane. And he says, he goes to them. He walks up. He says, who are you looking for? 
And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, the God phrase, I am. That is Yahweh. That's what Yahweh means. He's saying it on purpose, I am. And they have to fall. There's 200 of them. They fall like dominoes. Because the great I am, the God who made everything and sustains the universe, says, I'm here. You looking for me? They bow, and he says, come on, get up. We got something to do. Let's do it. He told Judas, get it over with. Do what you came to do, man. Because God's in charge, and he's using their evil. He has to become a victim to the Pharisees in order to destroy sin and death. And then he's going to say, come follow me out this narrow way that leads to life. Pick up your cross. Follow me out, people. Now, it's the inaugurated time to fast. Now, that door opened up in Gethsemane, and it exists until we see him where, quite ironically, the first thing he says we'll do is have a wedding feast. And so we go from a time where they were temporally celebrating and not, they were feasting, not fasting. Then Jesus says, a door is coming. I'm being snatched away. I'm in charge. But those days will be tough. You're going to be hated, marginalized. Your bodies are going to break down. You're going to have stress. Somebody in the marriage is going to wake up one morning and say, you know, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. All of that nonsense. And then uh, you find out they get remarried to the guy at the gym. You know, either of them. Sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm just being honest with you. In those days, when the doctor says, I'm sorry, we did all we can, when she says or he says, I don't love you anymore, when, when a country says, we're testing a new jet engine propulsion system so that we can nuke your entire country, which has being, been said for the last 10 or 20 years. Sooner or later, it's going to try to do it. In those days, they will fast, and it will be a good idea. Lay aside the food for a day or two and just say, this is something serious, God. When sin and temptation has the upper hand in your life, it's a time to say, no more food right now, please. Let's give me a jug of water, an open Bible, and let's do some business here. And God seems to enjoy that. So he says there's a time. Here's the ironic part, and then we'll move on. When he comes, as I said, he, he brings us to his side, and there's a party again. And now we're feasting. But when he appears, here's what Jesus said in Matthew 24. I'm going to light up the skies. I'll be coming in glory with the hosts of heaven, which includes the church. And when the second coming appears, not the rapture, the second coming, it says, and all the earth will mourn on account of him. In other words, the whole world will be, uh-oh, uh-oh, no time for a party. <laughs> Grief, mourning, fasting. And they don't get to eat of the, the, the feast in the kingdom of God as Christ calls heaven. There's this feast going on. Now, 
they're fasting again. A self-imposed fast. They don't get to enjoy the feast that's coming. Oh, it's so backwards. Unbelief just puts you on the outside looking in. So uh, don't, don't go there. Don't go there. So let's finish up with a lesson. He says, listen, let me help you out, guys. Let me use a couple analogies from everyday life about the new structure, the new covenant, this new wine, this new material, this robe, this garment. Let me tell you about it. So he says, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. He's saying two things here, two analogies, one meeting. Judaism has come to its God-appointed end. There's no, nothing else Judaism can do because Judaism's job was to prepare the world for Messiah. Prophecies, shadows, types. So many times. There's probably a couple hundred shadows. There's 300 direct prophecies. But uh, there's shadows and types. He's the rock that was struck that bleeds the life-giving water. He's the manna from heaven. Christian baptism is walking through the Red Sea that parts. All of these things happened in history, but on top of their historical fact is the spiritual prophetic nature of speaking about Christ, the blood he's going to shed, and so the Passover lamb, all of these things. Now, Jesus says, all of those things are pointing to me. There was a curtain that separated people from God's presence in the temple, and, and, and the only way through was once a year with blood from a lamb, right? Or, or uh, blood as a sacrifice, now he's standing there. Why would you need a lamb? There's no more sacrifices. Judaism was all about bringing the sacrifice, confessing your sins onto the livestock, slit the throat, the blood goes in a basin, and your sins are forgiven because somebody died in your place. In this, in this case, it was a bull or a goat or a lamb. Now the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was birthed from Judaism and is standing there the complete fulfillment of everything Old Testament and he's saying Judaism is now like a tattered old shirt it looked beautiful when it came down from Mount Sinai when Moses brought it down it was gorgeous they put it on you know it was lacking because the Old Testament itself catch this don't miss this this is the most important part the Old Testament itself says something new is coming. There's a new covenant. The Old Covenant says there's going to be a New Testament. And if he says there's going to be a New Testament, there's a day coming when the old will be obsolete. Let me just show you the, the Jeremiah 31 passage. Behold, the days are coming. Oh, this is the Old Covenant speaking. Declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. That means New Testament. He's saying there's going to be a New Testament. It's not just the Old Testament. Someday it's coming to the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Let me assure you, <laughs> did you know that the New Testament is to the Jewish nation? We, you all, <laughs> us, Gentiles, got in because they are delayed. They said, no, thank you. And so God opened the, the door, which it was always his intention, to the rest of the world. The rest of the world comes in, 
And then this is going to come to pass. It's going to take Armageddon to do it. But Armageddon at the end of the seven-year tribulation, the new covenant that was made to them, they turn to the Lord and become a Christian nation. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers. On that day, I took them from the hand, by hand and led them out of Egypt. That's Mount Sinai. He's saying that's the new covenant's going to be not law. It's going to be different. It's going to be grace. And it's going to be the gracious one standing there saying, no more do you need a lamb at Passover. I'm the Passover lamb. So not only will you be forgiven immediately of that thing that you're bringing the lamb for, but past, present, future, a, a guilty conscience, I can change that. The blood of bulls and goats, they can't do it. It was only pointing to this moment. So he's saying... Christianity isn't something that Jesus and Christians came and foisted upon the Jews in Judaism. Judaism itself says, Old Testament, there's going to be a New Testament, and listen, in those days, I'll put my law within them. I'll write it on their hearts. Ezekiel says, I'll take out the heart of stone and put in your heart a heart, a spirit, Living, I'll make you alive inside. That can only happen when the Lamb of God goes to the cross, pays for all of your sins, and makes you alive. So here's what he's saying. He's saying Judaism was a beautiful jacket or garment. Now it's threadbare, moth-eaten. It, you can't put that on. And, and the new, on the new material, you can't put the gospel on that It'll destroy it. It doesn't fix it. You don't need to mend Judaism or add to it. You need to let it go away and be replaced. The little acorn has become the oak. And the oak, the new oak is standing here. Embrace the oak. And then he says the wineskins, the same thing. I got a picture a little bit. The wineskins, here's what they look like. You know, so they put new wine in new skins, right? And so the wine kept fermenting, and the elasticity in the animal hide would stretch out and stretch out, and then the wine had stopped fermenting, and good, we're good to go. But if you emptied that skin and filled it with new wine that was still fermenting, you're going to have a big mess. I got a picture of the mess, right? That's what you're going to have, right? Because... It stretched out as far as it can. Judaism stretched all the way out. And boom, through Mary, a descendant of King David, a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, blood, came the God-man. Bam. Now, you can't pour the gospel and the new life back into the old container because the gospel's ever-growing and expanding the work that Christ came to do can't fit in the old container anymore. So he's trying to bring it to them. Thank you for that. In any way that they could understand. Not time to, to mend a garment. You can't fix up Judaism just like you can't fix up an unbelieving life. So many people are stumbled when Jesus says, hey, got this new life for you. And what do they say? In closing, listen. I'll start going to church more. I'll stop cussing so much. 
I'll pull the drinking up back a little bit. Maybe I'll even stop, right? You're still going to hell. You, you're not saved. It's not about fixing up the old house. That old house stands condemned. You need a new house. So Jesus comes and says, you need to surrender. When you step into the waters of baptism, that's what every Christian says. They said the old house died. The old structure, dead. The old way of thinking, dead, buried, gone. The old me. And that's the newness that freaks unbelievers out, just like the Pharisees. I don't know what would life be without Judaism, without going to the temple with a blood sacrifice. I don't know that life. He says, that's okay. I am the new life. Come to me. And that's what he has to convince every unbeliever. Don't get freaked out by something new. You're going to have a Lord. Well, I won't have my own ways. I'll have to stop doing this. I'll have to start doing that. I don't know how that's going to work. It's going to work just fine. Because God loves you. God has something new for you and wonderful and eternal life. He cannot pour eternal life into the vessel from the unbelieving and sinful life. He, he needs to do a new work. Amen. Don't push him away if you're an unbeliever. Accept that new life and have the joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for the joy. The, the, you're always making all things new, Lord, so help us with that. If anybody's here that doesn't know you, Lord, and is just freaked out about a new life and wondering about what that'll look like and not look like, we just pray you'd help them to have faith. And no, it's just really not an option if the boat we're on is sinking. <laughs> and a new boat pulls up next door, it's a pretty good idea to get on the new boat, even if we don't have all the answers. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're an unbeliever, you haven't officially given it over to the Lord, to this new life. Listen, you got a flip phone. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about the iPhone. It is scary at first. Uh, let me just tell you. If you're here and you're like, it's just, I don't know. A Lord uh, surrendered to God who's got control of every little thing, that would mean I'd have to do this and that. And whoa, hold on, listen. How many of you in this room came to a point of great anxiety in your life when you were presented the gospel because you were overwhelmed with what that would look like a new life with God and being a Christian and going to church and stop doing certain things and you were just had a lot of anxiety about it would you say amen? amen okay now you can be honest go ahead nice and loud <laughs> amen that was a pretty good amen listen we all, we've all been there and we had the flip phone Worse than that, we had like a phone with a, a long cord attached to it. All right. Worse than that, we had one of those things you cranked. All right. Worse than that, we had a tin can with a string. All right. And someone came along with this iPhone with this new life. Don't be afraid. Just trust and obey, and he'll take care of the rest. Amen. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'm wondering... 
And somebody's here just saying, hey, you're talking right to me. The Holy Spirit's just touching my heart. I want to have this new life and have this joy. You just let me know. Nobody's looking around. It's just raise your hand, lift it up high, and say, I want to become a Christian. Amen. Awesome. Uh, that's a great story, too. And I kind of have this story about this person who came on Wednesday night and said, um, I'm new here. And I said, oh, that's great. What church do you come, come from? And she said, I've never been to church in my life. And I said, you came on a Wednesday night the first time and we went through 15 Psalms? You poor thing. And she said, no, I liked it. It was good. And guess who's back Sunday? And guess who just raised their hand? <laughs> All right. Heads bowed, eyes closed. <laughs> Let's say the prayer together with our sister in the Lord. All right. Dear Heavenly Father, I want new life. I'm done with the old. Please take away my sins. Heal my heart. Raise me to new life. Thank you for making me your child. I commit myself to your care. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if you said that prayer and you meant it in your heart, we've got a Bible for you. You already have a Bible from Wednesday night. But anybody else, we've got Bibles. We've got some information to help you start your Christian life. You need to get baptized water in water. You need to walk with the Lord. Don't do stuff that's going to make it hard for you to grow. Do the stuff that will make it easy for God to bring that new life in. Amen? And you're in our prayers. We'll see you next. We'll see you Wednesday. God bless you guys. Take care. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.